part of me would feel bad, but then a part of me would be like, yeah, the mind is just doing its thing. It wants to be in control. Easy way to be in control is to be negative, right? The mind, you know, when the mind is all happy, it's like, oh, no, look at this over here. That's bad. No, no, look at that over there. That's bad. But when the mind, I think, becomes more consistently happy, is more attuning to the divine. Welcome to A Way of Thinking. I'm your host, Jessica Huang. This podcast is a place of exploration to learn and grow from each other on the journey to becoming our best selves. My own journey has taken me from a decade-long corporate finance career to living in my dharma as a self-love coach. I help people move from an unfulfilled career to following their dharma into a meaningful and aligned career and life. Now let's dive into today's show. Our guest today is Penelope Kalu. Penelope is a senior Dharma yoga teacher and a mentor for the Life of a Yogi teacher training program at Dharma Yoga Center. She is also a retired New York City public school dance teacher. She is originally from Trinidad and Tobago and is currently based in New York City. So welcome to the show, Penny. Thank you, Jessica. Happy to be here. So excited for this. So Penny, uh, can you begin our session with an OM? Certainly. Maybe you'll be guided and protected through all our daily tasks. Shanti, shanti, shanti. Thank you so much, Penny. So, Penny, I'm so excited to have you on our show. I think we've been talking about this for quite a while. And Penny, I know from Dharma Yoga Center, and she actually has been my mentor through all of the trainings. So 200-hour, 500-hour, and 800-hour, Penny has been my mentor all the way along. So it's it's been a real pleasure getting to know Penny over all the, these years. And, and I feel like you are kind of like, um, I don't know, like the mainstay person that is always there at Dharma Yoga Center. It's your presence is very uh, kind of comforting for all of us, I think, at the center. And I think that's a big reason why I was excited to have you on the show to talk about your way of thinking and, and what has uh, kind of this practice of Dharma Yoga and how it has impacted you. So that is kind of where I wanted to get started. And, you know, Penny has been learning from Dharma, our teacher, Sri Dharma Mitra, for the past 25 years, which is so incredible. And so I wanted to start with what has that been like for you, Penny? What has it been like to be with Dharma for the last 25 years? Hmm. You know, I never really thought... Um, that I was with Dharma that long. <laughs> it's only when people started mentioning, I was like, oh, maybe I have been there that long. But um, I think, you know, partly it might have been dance training because, you know, dancers like, say, a ballerina, you start at four 
And you really don't peak until maybe 18, 20, sometimes 25. So I think my thinking process was always that things would take a long time. So coming into the yoga, I had the same mindset. And I always would take it day by day. Never really thought about the time. And um, I'm really glad that I did. Because as I stayed throughout the years, I remember telling uh, his wife, Eva, one time, this was at Kripalu, I said something like, you know, uh, as you listen more and more, you start to hear things differently. And even that was a surprise to me that I said that. It just came out. And I was like, oh, yeah, I am hearing things differently. So, yes, Dharma repeats things a lot. And he often says, um, you have to hear these teachings for a long time before you really understand it and before you get some kind of realization. And at that moment, when I said that, I was like, oh, I'm starting to understand some things. And um, even even, uh, one of the sessions, she said, Penny, tell Dharma what you said. I was like, huh? And then I repeated it. Dharma just looked at me. He's like, what did you say? (laughs) And I repeated it. And I was like, and then he shook his head. You know, so there was, there's a, there's a thing, you know, nowadays there's so much technology and everything comes to us so quickly. We never think that things are going to take, say, more than a few weeks or more than a few months. People rarely think in years and people rarely think in lifetimes. And so I think throughout all the time I've been listening, I started thinking in lifetimes Because, you know, you grow up, nobody really tells you you're going to have more than one life. Nobody really says Mm -hmm. that. I grew up Catholic, um, although I heard that there is that teaching of reincarnation, but they don't actually preach it. When I came to Dharma, he said it, and it was as, as if I knew it already. And then it really settled a lot of things within me because, um, you know, you, one can get despondent a little in yoga too. You know, we, we're doing in the West a lot of Hatha yoga and you're seeing people, you know, sort of, if you quote unquote want to say, becoming better than you. Well, what does that mean, right? That's just poses. So sometimes coming from the dance perspective, I was like, oh, will I ever get there? You know, am I ever going to be this great yogi or whatever? And that was when I kind of said to Dharma, I asked him this question was, you know, are we, are we all going to get there? Are we all going to get enlightened? I mean, is that something for everyone? Because also the readings from the Bhagavad Gita would always say one in every thousand people become self-realized or one in every, how many ever they say. And so I had a little moment of despondency. And when I asked him that, he was like, well, yes, he says, everybody's going to get self-realized. And everybody passes through the exact same thing. And it's almost as if after I asked him that, he started talking about that more. So it was like reassuring everybody that you just had to continue along the path. And if you just stuck with it, eventually we will all get there. And I think that is the thing that switched my way of thinking of uh, finite material existence to thinking of, living many lifetimes. And even, uh, I would say, in the last few years, 
he started talking about those lifetimes, not just as on an earth, but now in different planes of existence. And that also blew my mind. I was like, wow. I mean, you could live, say, in an astral world, in a causal world. You could live in different dimensions, on different planets. And I was like, my goodness. Like, and he always says, there's a lot to look forward to. And that was where I also started understanding what was this thing you had to look forward to. Because I remember early on, too, one of the first questions I said to him, I was like, Dharma, who is it that wants to come back? And he looked at me, he's like, don't you, don't people want to come back? How selfish is that? Did you don't want to come back? And I kind of just looked at him puzzled. And then he went, he's like, your consciousness still exists. And I was like, wow. That was also mind blowing for me because I never thought of myself as consciousness. You know, we, you know, you grow up, quote unquote, normal, <laughs> right? You're thinking about yourself with your parents. You get a job, maybe you get married. Maybe you travel, maybe you this, maybe you that, and you pass away. But you never really think of yourself beyond the body still existing. So that was another mind-blowing thing for me, you know, to say to myself, beyond this body, you're going to exist as consciousness. And this consciousness goes from life to life in different bodies, in different ways of existing, not just as a human form, but maybe as a, you know, Dharma talks about, you could become a God, right? You could become a Brahma, you, you know, you could be creating. So this was, I think these were some of the big ways that I, my changing thinks. My changing, my, not think, my changing, my thinking changed. <laughs> I mixed up the words. So this is one of the ways my thinking really shifted in terms of my existence. You know, that was huge for me. I'm curious. So, you know, from growing up Catholic mm -hmm. and then having these big concepts kind of come into your world, do you feel like it was hard for you to kind of wrap your head around these ideas or how was that as you kind of shifted? For some reason, it wasn't hard. It was exciting. It was mind blowing. And um, I don't know if that's also because in the Trinidad society, we have like 40% African, 40% sort of Hindu, some Muslim. And so half my family is kind of Hindu. Half my family is sort of the, the Christian. And so I grew up uh, going to all the festivals and the, you know, the pujas, you know, because my father would always take us, the weddings and, you know. So I always saw everything around me and maybe I heard it. But of course, I'm young, so I don't really understand it. I understand from the Catholic side because my mother's always taking us to church. And we didn't go to as many of the um, Hindu prayers. But of course, there are always prayers in all their events, right? Whether it's a wedding, a funeral, whatever it is. So I was hearing both sides all the time. Mm -hmm. And also... In Trinidad, because we're so small too, we live side by side. So everybody participates in everything. The Hindus, the children will insist the parents put up a Christmas tree. And the Hindus will invite us over for Diwali. And then the Muslims have their festival in the street and we all go out, you know. So everybody sort of participates in everything in, in various areas of Trinidad. So having all of that made me, I think, more open to sort of everything. All the, all the concepts as well as it just might be my personality, you know, that 
to be open and um, not just accept, but to be open to listen and to sort of reflect on it and think about it. And I think also part was um, being a lover of science fiction. So I always talk about going into my brother's room, picking up all his science fiction books. And then my father was also a big, um, he was a Rosicrucian. And I, he, which also goes into that uh, sort of meditation aspect. And he would have books on like Lopsam Rampa and these people doing the astral traveling. And sometimes I would pick up things and read and pick up all the um, the science fiction books from my brother. So my mind, I was always sort of thinking out there till I think uh, my friends used to think I was strange because because some of the things I would say, they would be like, what are you talking about? And I'd be like, yeah, I could understand it, right? But I couldn't exactly explain it. But it's because my mind was always in that sort of science fiction sphere where so many things could happen. And there's, you know, you could just go beyond what you're actually existing in here. So some some part of my karma, I was I was open to it already, you know. Yeah, I think that's so special, that idea of, you know, because I think that Dharma kind of reminds us that all religions are kind of taking us on the same journey at the end of the day, even though they might have these differentiating factors. And so it's kind of beautiful that you were kind of raised in this mixed environment to begin with. And the phrase that was coming up to me as you were talking was uh, saying the words, be receptive. Right, which Dharma says to us so often is this idea of being receptive, being open to to these ideas, and and so I I love that, and that was what was kind of ringing through to me as you were saying that, as well as he also says, which is which I love, he says, yeah, y'all are all here doing yoga, and then he says, why? He says because you're an old soul, mm-hmm. so we've come to it already, having gone through many lives and many experiences. And obviously we have uh, experienced this, something about this yoga before, which is why we gravitate towards it so easily. And then we're so enthusiastic while we're doing it. So I I love when he says that, you know, it's very hopeful. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It feels like proof sometimes of everything that we are being told around reincarnation, because it feels like this out there concept where you're like, well, you don't really know, but I, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like, but do we know? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Eh? I think even like some of the highest, what we might call the highest saints will say, will say that. Mm-hmm. But do I really know? You know, they, they reach so far, even Dharma. He's like, maybe I don't know anything. Right. And we look at him like, no, you know a lot. <laughs> but they all reach a point, you know, where they, they say, yeah, but I don't really know because I think one of the great gurus also said, yeah, that last part where we don't know, it's a mystery, you know, and it's almost like God doesn't want you to know that part. That's the part that stays the mystery. Mm. Sometimes you come to that last question and that last question can't be answered. That's the mystery part of the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it reminds me of Dharma always telling us like the words that are coming out of his mouth are not proof. And that we need to go find it for ourselves. Yes. So it's that exact idea where it's like, well, one day you're going to be walking down the street and suddenly you'll go, that's it. <laughs> yes, it's so true. <laughs> I love when he says that. <laughs> yeah. It's, again, a lot of hope. He really gives us a lot of hope. 
you know, that we will one day get there or be there or have enlightenment or become self-realized, you know. So it's also why in the teacher trainings, I one of the first things I tell people is you have to think about this in lifetimes, you know, and then people mm-hmm. are like, wow. Because they think, you know, I come to this teacher training and then I'll be a teacher and then I will all be all spiritual. But, you know, maybe this lifetime you will get there. Maybe you might fall. Then you have to pick yourself back up. Maybe you fall and you pass. And then the next lifetime you have to pick yourself up. We just don't know, mm. you know. So, What initially brought you to yoga? So, so let's see. Well, I loved moving and it seemed I liked being upside down. <laughs> Uh, and in the era my mother grew up, you know, everybody, all the girls had to be in ballet and music lessons and all the boys had to be in some sport and music lessons. So that's what she did with us. But, um, you know, through all my dancing, I did a little bit of gymnastics, not a lot. I remember when I didn't have any more gymnastics lessons and I, I think I missed it. And I, when I went into my brother's room, there was this a book photocopied um, and I picked it up and took it to my room <laughs> and it was a yoga book and from there I was continuing to practice headstand and I was learning um, uh, I think I had started a little bit of forearm balance in gymnastics but I didn't do that much in gymnastics so this yoga book had me doing all those things headstand forearm balance handstands against my cupboard, you know. And then um, at the end of the book, there was diet and there was um, all the pranayama exercises. And I, I even now I could, I could see myself when I close my eyes with my back against the cupboard and I'm doing, you know, the Bastrika <laughs> Kapalabhati. I can't even remember which one. But I just gravitated towards this book and I kept this book in my room. And often my brother would say, Penny, do you have that book? <laughs> you know, so. And I'd be like, yes, I still have it. And then I came to New York and I brought the book with me. And he would say, do you have my book? And I was like, yes, I have it. <laughs> and I think a few years ago, he was like, can I get back that book? I was like, yes, you can. And it was intact. Just the little front cover was gone because it was just like a yellow page covering it. But uh, one of the reasons it was easy for me to give it back to him is because I actually found the book. So I was walking right in on 23rd Street going to Dharma. And there's this old guy selling all these old books. And I see, oh, Richard Hittleman. And I picked it up and I flipped through it. And I was like, this is the book. And I immediately bought it for mostly all of three or five dollars. Oh, my God. And yes. And then I was like, and everything in it, the diet, the pranayama, the poses, the explanation. He was, um, he gave everything and I still have it on my shelf. I don't really use it, but it's just like, you know, a memory. So I started um, doing yoga without actually knowing what it was, you know. And then when I came to New York, I was doing um, a dance workshop at Purchase. And the one of the dancers, he offered us a half an hour free yoga class every morning. And I jumped at it and I went every morning for half an hour. Must have been from 7 to 7.30. Then we had a little breakfast and then classes started from 8. So the funny thing about it is what do I ask at the end of the dance workshop? I go to him and I say, where can I do more yoga? (laughs) He directs me to Dharma and he says, Mm. this is a good place to start. That's what he says. Going to Dharma is a good place to start. 
And he even said, you know, there are things that go on, you know, little funny things. I think at that time, you know, Dharma often has people passing through who sometimes are not so mentally well. So he was warning me, you know, when you go, there might be some of that. But mm. he didn't, it wasn't the problem. That's how he put it. And um, that when I came back from my summer workshop, I went right to the yoga studio. I always say in my brown leotard and tights, because that's what I knew to wear. And it was a 12 o'clock class uh, right here on 3rd Avenue, the pink carpet. And one of the first things Dharma said was he was correcting my headstand. And he was pointing me to do older um, students of his and telling me how they would move just a little bit side to side. And that's how you kept your balance. He says nothing is ever perfectly still. And after that, I just kept going as much as I could. I remember the classes that time was so cheap. They were like $5. And I was like, wow, this is great. And then it kept going up six, you know, <laughs> seven, eight. And then at one time when it started going into the teens, I was like, oh, I can't afford this, you know. So I was accustomed doing, say, like one dance class a week. And I would pay out of my pocket change all during high school. So it was a big deal. Whatever I could afford, I did it. If I could only do one class a week, I did one class a week. And I think I, I may have um, practice on my own, you know, like, because, you know, I'm in a dance studio. So and then I teach the kids some of it. And um, I just kept going. And uh, then I started doing some of the other classes. Right. So Narma would have a meditation class and we would learn all the meditation uh, a variety of ways so we would, he would do something with a, he would bring a um, vase of roses or he would bring a candle and he would do the ohm and he'd put out his computer and put the ohm shining through, you know. He, we would do psychic development and um, some purifying techniques. And uh, when we did those, those were often at night. So if he had class at six, it would finish at eight. And then he would start 8.15 to 9.15. Then we're doing all these other practices. Wow. So and then, you know, we left and went home. But it didn't seem like a big deal for me because those things are the ones that really energized you. And then, you know, it had you thinking a different way. You know, you started to become more spiritual, thinking more of, what is God? Who is God? Who am I? What is the self they keep talking about? And then he would always read something from the Bhagavad Gita in each class, explain things or the Yoga Sutras. So we were really being filled with a lot of information. You know, now he can just ad lib and talk a lot. He doesn't do so much of the book reading. I know he had done it online with the um, Advaita um, Gita. Oh, the yeah. Astravaka. Astravaka, that's the one yeah. he uses. Yeah, so, and then he would even read books to us um, from Charles Ledbetter. Oh, those were so interesting. Uh, this guy, um, he would talk about thought forms, that thought thoughts actually have some kind of form that some people could see. And he would also talk about the astral world and so, I mean, when Dharma read those books, my eyes would pop open. I'd be like, wow, you mean there's all of this going on? Like, you know, all that psychic phenomena. So I was really interested. It was so exciting to me then, you know. So and then, you know, it, it never left me. It, you know, when you hear those things, because getting to that point, re, you know, really takes lifetimes. I mean, when you think about it, how does one become 
quote unquote psychic, even though Dharma says there's no such thing as psychic. You know, he takes he takes everything as very natural. So, but when you hear those things, you're like, yeah, sometimes you, you know, you have this desire. I want to be there. I want to have end of suffering. I want to know what that is like. So I think that in a way, that's what brought me there. And that's kind of what keeps me going. You know, I don't feel like I have achieved it, you know. So it's it's a good, you know, once you have that goal, I don't think you can ever really stop, right? <laughs> when will you stop? When you become a God? When you become a... Exactly. Yeah. I, I certainly don't know where the end is. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, Penny, it's so funny because it, it reminds me of this idea where, like, every time I see you in the studio, I think everyone kind of equates you with this kind of very sunny, happy, joyful kind of personality, right? And I, I think that's become kind of uh, what we think of when when we see you in, in the studio, so do you feel like that has always been your personality or do you think that's kind of the effect of practicing yoga? To some point, it's my natural personality to some point. But that didn't always shine through, I think, as much as now. I was, I was very moody um, and I would have pretty negative thoughts, which I think Dharma would pick up on <laughs> I sometimes used to be so embarrassed because like I couldn't stop my negative thoughts. But he would always remind us that um, they come and they go. And uh, sometimes I, they just wouldn't go and I'd feel so terrible, you know, but I was so happy that nobody else could tell what I was thinking, you know. And um, I think it also comes with your regular practice that all those impurities that's supposed to come up will come up. And it's it's like almost having courage to let them come up and to go through mm. them coming up and then dissipating eventually. And then, of course, it has a lot to do with past karma. All your past karma things come up. And um, so I had to go through lots of those. I would hear Dharma making comments and I'd be like, oh boy, that's me. <laughs> you know, that's the- and uh, just uh, whether my mind was criticizing or whether it's making comments about people, but it's almost as if I was here and that the mind was doing all that stuff. And I would, I would, you know, part of me would feel bad, but then a part of me would be like, yeah, the mind is just doing its thing. It wants to be in control. Easy way to be in control is to be negative, right? Mm. The mind, you know, when the mind is all happy, it's like, oh, no, look at this over here. That's bad. No, no, look at that over there. That's bad. But when the mind, I think, becomes more consistently happy, is more attuning to the divine. And I'm only now thinking about that. Huh? <laughs> I never thought of it before. And because um, I think it, it sort of means that you are starting to let go of the mind being in control. And, um, that you know, Dharma always says, when your mind is doing that thing, you have to say, I'm in control. And the I is that higher self with a capital S. Mm. So I think without thinking about it, because I persisted, because I endured, and I just, whatever it is in me, just wanted to keep going. It's almost like you want to be like Dharma. (laughs) No matter what Dharma is going through, he will say, oh, I want to go home today. And then he will start class and he will crack a few jokes. Everybody will laugh. 
And then he pick up himself and go home, right? So who doesn't want to be like that? To be able to, no matter what is going through your life, doing you know all those stresses and you have those down times, but you come into class, can you still be cheerful and joyful? And can you still give to your students and also make them feel good when they leave that class or during the class? I mean, that's kind of like a... a a great achievement when you can get there, you know. So I work on it, you know. Um, even though there have been tough times, up and down, you know, but some there's a little something inside your heart that kind of smiles, right? It, it, it kind of chuckles. And I think it's it's kind of because it knows that it's all temporary and it's all this play of God, play of Divine Mother, right? Experiencing its own self in all its manifestations. And sometimes when you're going through this and you think about that, you kind of laugh because you're like, oh, it's all like a play that's temporary. <laughs> so, you know, so I think that's that's how come the the sunniness. And, um, and I think being around Dharma, my goodness, what does he say? He says, come close because then you in the aura, right? And once you're in that aura, you start to feel good. And you're like, why do I feel so good? You know, you you come like, oh, today I don't feel good. And this person did that. And look what happened on the street. And then you walk into the studio and everything kind of gets quiet. Your mind suddenly stops thinking about all these things. You start doing class and all those thoughts go away. And you could also tell when you're doing class and your mind goes off, somehow Dharma pulls your attention. He will say something because... He is noticing where you are. Mm. And he can say, he will give you a little something like, um, think of God. How to think of God. Clear your mind. How to clear your mind. Think of God. Or he will start to say, yeah, you know, when you have problems, you must sing Sita Ram Ram Ram. <laughs> so he knows, you know, he can see, he can pick it up. And then suddenly he will say a little something that will jog your mind back to being present. And then what does he say? Try to live in the present. Yeah, that's where you're happiest. As in the past, you have what anger and whatever. And for the future, you might be, have fear, you might have worry. But in the present, you know, is where we can be the happiest, right? And they say it's what, um, uh, like an everlasting present almost, right? The present just keeps going on and on, but the past is gone. The future hasn't come, but the present is always there. So I think that's my my goal now to how do I keep living in the present and not have my mind be in control you know that's the mind mind is just what it does bringing up thoughts right not the self is the one that's connected with the capital S so I think that so-called sunny disposition you know it's because I can often go inside and chuckle at a few things mm. you know and that keeps you kind of happy yeah. yeah, I love that. I I love it because right now, I don't know if everyone can see this if they're listening to it, but you're wearing bright yellow. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so it's like, it's really radiating the light. <laughs> and I didn't even think about it today. I was just like, no, today is a yellow day. And that's why I wore it. <laughs> well, it's very fitting. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. Um, you know, it it's very much that that be the witness, right? Like you're very much embodying that idea of saying like, well, the mind is doing its thing, but I'm just the witness to the mind 
trying to pull me down and have all these negative thoughts and feelings. So it's, it's so powerful. And it, I mean, it definitely is a practice, right? Yes. To be able to remember to be the witness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's not always successful, you know, but uh, when Dharma says, um, I'm pretendananda, a lot of things I think I'm that. I'm, I'm pretending and too, because even though I might have a downtime, I, I, you know, I pick myself up. I'm like, well, no, I have this to do now. So the mind can't be in control because then I won't be able to do this thing that I'm supposed to do. So you kind of have to pretend as well. You know, I know um, my brother, uh, he is a disciple of or was, is, can't say was, right? Is a disciple of the um, Self-Realization Fellowship with Paramahansa Yogananda. And I remember going to many of their services. And one of the biggest things he would say is be a smile millionaire. And from that, I think I would always try. Because Dharma says to, when you laugh, you exercise all these 300, how many ever hundreds of muscles in your face, right? And I remember um, in one of the lectures from the monks at SRF, I got really mad about this. The guy, the, the monk said, he said, you are the one who made your face. And I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, I'm the one who made my face. Well, yeah, right. So if you're always angry, you know, your face is creepy, always worried, different kind of crinkle. But if you make sure to have like a, a smile and think, go within and get the pleasant thoughts. Okay, then your face will also change. So it mm. took me a while to overcome my, you know, feeling mad at him, <laughs> you know. And then, you know, he's right. We we are the ones who make our face. We are the ones who decide what the space we are presenting to this outside world is going to look like. So I would always work on that. Be a smile millionaire. I love that. <laughs> I love that so much. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. So I wanted to talk a little bit because we had we had talked a little about your your brother, you know, yes. separately. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about your relationship to your brother? So we're a family of five siblings. My brother was the oldest. I'm the youngest. And for some reason, we always connected. So he would go running in the night, like nine o'clock. And I'd be like, can I go with you? And I'd go running <laughs> you know, with him. And um you know, he, he was always the one who, when we first, all te- we were all teenagers, always all about a year apart. So party time, he was the one who drove first. So he was taking all of us to the parties, all of us to the beaches. So this is how we know my brother always taking us out. When we got our first um, VHS machine, <clears throat> or was he bringing us home? He was into karate. So Every Bruce Lee movie you could think of, he brought home a Scarface, a Godfather. I mean, all the, all these movies. He was the one bringing all these things to us. And then he was an avid reader. So his room filled with books. I mean, you name it, he could talk on the subject. And his um, university degree was in, I believe, um, English and literature, that kind of stuff. And I would hear stories that he would present the professors with questions that they couldn't answer. <laughs> he was such a high thinker, you know, very, very intelligent guy. And through his yoga practice, I think we all watched him, you know, go through stuff. Um, he, at one time, he was a vegan. 
Um, and then he switched over. He started eating meat again. But he, for a long time, he was vegan. And um, his practice made him a person who would never get angry. Mm. <laughs> it was amazing to watch. And also, he would watch people getting frustrated. And he'd be like, it's okay. Everything's going to work out. You just have to be calm. And of course, people would get more frustrated. Be like, <laughs> you know, his name is Philip, but everybody called him Mario. And um, they would be like, oh my God. Even at his funeral, they'd be like, you get so frustrated. And all Mario could tell you is, calm down. It's going to be all right. And everything will work out. So that's the kind of person he was, you know. He he really embodied that yoga philosophy of trying to be the one with the even temperament, the one who was calm, the one who would, you know, work very hard to make sure that every everything was okay. If my sisters and I had a quarrel, he kind of would intervene in between, you know, because, you know, girls, <laughs> everybody has their opinion and whatever. And he would say, Penny, you just have to be calm. You know, so he was also a lover of the beach, loved to swim. And I'm a lover of the beach, as I'm probably you can see on some of my pictures. Every every time I'm at the beach, I'm taking some yoga pose, you know, <laughs> but I'm always at the beach. And um, I would often go with him to the beaches and to rivers. And he just loved to explore nature, hiking. So uh, and those are all the things I love, too. I think my whole family loves that kind of stuff. So he was the one that got us out there and, um, you know. And then, of course, as I got older, he and I were able to talk about yoga as I got into the yoga. And I would tell him things Dharma said and he would tell me things Parmahansa Yogananda said. And um, I think I I started going to the Self-Realization Fellowship Center to learn how to pray, Mm. you know, because I remember Dharma had said, pray for people. Well, I'm thinking, okay, well, in the Catholic Church, you pray for people. But I, I was like, well, how do you do that? And so I was like, um, yeah, after reading some of Parmahansa's books, I was like, yeah, they pray for people, but how? And so I started going there mainly for that reason. And there they had, um, they have like one hour meditation services, silence. You know, you do some singing, just like Dharma with the singing and you get yourself ready and then you go in silence and then they would have a service and so on. So he and I had that connection, you know, through Paramahansa Yogananda and just through yoga in general. And um, as we both got older, of course, we were able to speak about yoga on a deeper level and exchange thoughts and ideas. And, you know, I remember when my mother passed, I would I had a little idea that you know, that day she passed or the day we had the funeral, she was sitting next to me in the veranda. And we were just sitting and looking at all the trees and I could like feel her presence. Well, who knows, right? Maybe just my mind. But it felt like she and I were just sitting and I could feel her presence. And I told him one day and he's like, yeah, Penny. He said, they're right there. He says, you know, they're just, it's just that we can't see them or feel them. But every everything is right around us. You know, like this astral world, we think that it's in some separate place, but it's just another dimension right where we are. I mean, things like that is what we would talk about, you know. So, you know, so that's kind of my relationship with him. Of course, it means that I miss him terribly because I don't have that anymore. But what's funny is his son um, and his daughter, 
His son uh, also does a lot of yoga on his own and is also interested in like the self-realization readings and so on. And, you know, his daughter doesn't do all of that, but has this thing where she can just tune in. (laughs) So with the both of them, I actually also have that now, Mm. you know, and so it's kind of a blessing and that I have that that whole little side, you know, him and his children, and then me, and we can all tune into that aspect of life and understand each other. You know, if we tell these things to people on the outside, it'd be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, so, you know, a blessing through him and his children that I still have this sort of community within my family. Mm. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Yeah, so... First off, I'm so sorry, Penny, on his sudden passing. Um, but I'm curious, how has it been for you kind of with the teachings of yoga kind of going through yes. the grief? Yeah. You know, um, when he passed, of course, you know, we all terribly sad. I have all my bouts of crying, etc., etc. But through all of that, I kept wondering, well, how does knowledge help? Because Dharma always says knowledge um, really eases your suffering, right? Self-realization is the end of pain and suffering. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? Because here I am, yes, I'm suffering, right? Mm -hmm. To some degree. But when he passed, I was like, well, where is he? You know, in my head, where is he? Because yes, I also felt him various times. And um. So I started looking up the astral world because they say you go into the astral world. So what's this astral world, right? And uh, up pops on the internet, um, Sri Yukteswar talking to Paramahansa Yogananda. Sri Yukteswar had passed away and that was his teacher. And he came to Yogananda and said, Yogananda, you have to tell people about the astral world. Mm. (laughs) Just like that. Wow. And I was just gobbling this stuff down. (laughs) I couldn't stop reading it. And when I finished, I was like, oh, that's what's going on, you know? Yes, the astral world, it's like you're in another dimension. If you want to, I don't know how how to describe it, but you still have work to do there. Just like here, we have to have relationships with people and figure out the karma and get rid of negative things. Apparently, in the astral world, you have work to do. And my brother would say that too. When my mother passed, he's like, no, yeah, you still have work to do in the astral world. And he would tell me. And so when I heard that, I was like, ah, when I read it again, I was like, okay. So he's all right. It's just... You know, he has work to do there. And um, my, I call him my dance son. So one of my um, dancers, um, he is very connected to me for some reason. (laughs) You know, it's like, if I'm down, he will call me. Miss Kalu, are you okay? I feel like something's going on. I'll be like, Mm. well, yeah. And um, so he said to me, um, he said, Miss Kalu, you know, it was just your brother's time to pass. And he says, no matter how many things you told him, he said, God, Divine Mother was calling him. Because um, a little bit before my brother passed, he was the one who got pulled out at sea because he loved to swim for an hour up and down in the sea. And um, he came out 
his wife had told him he had errands to do. And it was such a beautiful day, he told me. He looked in that water and he's like, I'm just going to go back in one more time. And I want to go to that section. And that section was where there was a bad current. Mm. And this was almost like five o'clock in the evening. And um, he went out and couldn't come back in. And uh, I guess because of all his training, he was able to hold on to a rock. And then he was able to swim to a cave. And he spent the night in the cave. And we all worried. There's people searching for him for the entire night. Wow. And my brother-in-law, who also swims like that, he said, you know, I'm going to go out. I'm going to take the kayak and I'm going to go out. I'm going to look for him. I feel, you know, whatever he felt. And he went out and found him. And uh, my brother says he saw him and he called out his name. And then my brother-in-law was like, yes, it's me. And had, went back to shore, got a rope, went back to him. He held onto the rope and he did his kayak and <laughs> put him in. <laughs> So in a way, there was like a bit of a premonition. So when I told my dad's son this, he said, he said, yeah, Mother Ganga, she was calling him. But he said, he but he told me that, yeah, he, he had a little chance. You know, he said, yeah, the water does uh, sort of pull you in, like the, the divine people sort of give you a hint, you know. And so that, in a way, that helped because he said, you know, it wouldn't have mattered what you said or what you did. It was just this time. And whatever he was doing is, maybe you were mad with him about his diet or whatever it was. He said he just couldn't help himself because it was time to go. Mm. So there's that knowledge too, you know, that sometimes say it's time to go and you walk down a street and some accident is there. Yeah, something sort of blocked you from being able to avoid that. And then you were supposed to end up there. And so in a way, as you know, as horrible as that might sound, but in a way, it's what happens in life, right? We look at all these people passing from babies all the way to people who live till a hundred and something, but they all had to have some reason to pass, you know, whether it's karmic, whatever it is. And what also helps is the story of Krishna, because I, I used to read a lot of you know, like the children's Krishna stories and look at all the cartoons and videos about Krishna and all the, his adventures. And I would say to him, well, how did Krishna die? Because he's a God. He's a God here on earth. And Krishna, knowing he had to leave, he went into the woods and this hunter shot an arrow and it hit his toe. And Krishna just sat down by a tree and passed away. <laughs> But it's because he had to go. He had to find some way to leave because it was time for him to leave the earth. So like when I think of those stories, I'm like, yeah, every yeah, everybody has to have a way to leave because we don't all stay in the body forever and ever. Mm. So that's like one piece of the knowledge that I think helped, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's really something. Mm -hmm. I mean... That's so interesting, the idea of like that, almost like a precursor yes. to the to his end. Um, but I love what you were saying there of, of just, I don't know, just feeling like we all have to have our time to go. It is, it is the, um, it's our attachment. Yes. Right. Our attachment to this earth, our attachment to each other that makes it so difficult. Yes. Yes. And, you know, Dharma always tells us that's one of the five causes of suffering 
And it it really does just come back around to that mm-hmm. over and over again. Yeah. When Dharma heard, because Adam told him, mm-hmm. and I came back, he's like, I'm so sorry, Penny, because, you know, he also had a brother who passed. And he said, doesn't matter how much knowledge you have, it still hurts. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> so he knows, you know, and mm-hmm. he, he could have that compassion, understanding what I was going through, which again was also helpful. And then I found throughout these last weeks, he would say little things, you know, like he would say, it's really just your attachment to the body that you're not going to see the person. It's not so much that they've passed, you know, because suppose they passed and you could still see them. Would you really be unhappy? <laughs> well, no, right? Suppose you had that psychic ability and could see mm-hmm. them in the astral world and you could still have conversations. Well, no, you wouldn't be so unhappy because it's just a shift of where, of, of their form. Mm. And one of the funny things I was like, yeah, well, you know what? To end this pain and suffering, I'm going to become psychic so that I could see them in the astral world. So anybody who passes away, I don't have to feel sad. (laughs) (laughs) So that's my latest penny thought. (laughs) That I have this goal that I have to become psychic so that pain and suffering I don't have to go through anymore. (laughs) Whether I will be granted that desire, we'll see. (laughs) I love that. I love that. Yeah, it's, you know, it's so funny because now that you're saying that, I'm like, oh, Dharma has been talking about this a lot lately. Yeah. He really tunes in to what people are going through. And it wasn't just me. There were other people who had siblings who passed. You may not have known, but it came to me like people would say things. I'd be like, oh, you know. And yes, we know that everybody's going through something, but he's tuning in, you know, and understanding what a few people are going through and like what they need, what they need to hear in order to understand. And that's the knowledge that is giving you the release from pain and suffering because mm-hmm. he, he tunes in and is able to tell us, you know, what is it you're feeling and why? And why are you having this pain? You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. I, there's so many times where I'm like, is he reading my mind? <laughs> exactly. Yes. So as much as he says he's not psychic, in a way he is, right? But he doesn't call it psychic. He just, you know, from what from my perspective, he just lets himself be open and lets whatever is supposed to come pass through him. And I think that's why he keeps saying he's not psychic, because it's not like he's not like, you know, some of these people who put up a sign, psychic, come and get a reading. He's not like that. He's like, no, if it's supposed to pass through me and that's what I'm supposed to say, then I just let it come out. You know, probably which is the best kind of psychic to be because there's no ego involved. You're not asking for money. You don't need it to live. You just, when it, whatever's supposed to happen, you say it and it helps people and that's the end of it. Mm. That's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you feel like uh, coming back to, to Dharma and the practice has kind of helped you? At, in Yes, Absolutely. You know, throughout all the stuff in this 25 years, I guess, that I've gone through, I think it's being around Dharma and doing the practice that has grounded me. I mean, think about the pandemic, how many people were online with Dharma. I would be listening and thinking to myself, wow, he's really grounding us. He's really letting us see what's important and what's not and what we can let go of and also see that living simply, because we're all forced now to live a lot more simpler, mm. to live a lot more by ourselves, uh, to really hone into what we needed, because you couldn't go out and 
just willy-nilly buy this and buy that. Things that you don't need, you know, but they just look nice, you know. You just had to, you had to be able to just deal with the necessities, you know. And so it's just very grounding being around him. He really, he really understands what's important and what you're, where you need to place your mind. So, yes, absolutely. Mm, I love that. Mm-hmm. Okay, one more thing I want to talk about um, is is around following your dharma. Mm-hmm. And so you've spent your whole career as as a dance teacher. So what has that really looked like to you to follow your dharma? Yeah, well, um, also early on, because, I mean, I did my degree in dance education here. And so my job was teaching dance. And then I was fortunate enough to dance in some companies. So I got that fun part of touring and performing on stage and thoroughly enjoyed expressing myself there. Again, Dharma would tell us, it's like, don't give up your day job, <laughs> you know, because you have you have to have a way to live, right? You have to have a roof over your head, be it buy your groceries. If you have a car, you have to be able to afford all of these things. And for me, I think with my personality, I knew that just quitting and becoming this full-time yoga teacher was not it. And also, I felt that I had something with the teenagers because I was a teenage, you know, high school dance teacher. And they gravitated towards me and I could always, I was always able to tell them something that settled them. Say they were having emotional outbursts or something was going on at home or even the death of a loved one. Somehow they came to me and I would just say something a day. And you could see the whole switch in their face. You know, they come with all this worry or anger or frustration. And I would, whatever it is I say, and then their whole face would just change and light up. And there'd be this understanding. And then they would go away. And I'd be like, okay. <laughs> you know, I remember even thinking to myself, gosh, not another one without somebody passing. Because I'd be like, God, what do I tell them? But I just told them exactly what Dharma the information he gave me and I passed it on and it somehow when I would tell them you know that it's just that they're in another sort of dimension then they'd be okay they were just so receptive to hearing that it's like I didn't even talk about consciousness I would just say you know their their energy is just in a different place you know with a different form and when they heard that you could see all their like grief would just lift because I think a lot of times we think that um, when people pass, there's all the suffering that's happening. But isn't Dharma always telling us when they pass, they immediately in bliss, right? They yeah. immediately are back with Mother Divine or Father and they've let go of all the worries of the body and the pains in the body and they're somewhere else, right? Enjoying this bliss. So, you know... Um, I think my dharma was to be with teenagers and young people. And, uh, you know, watching, sometimes I'm on Facebook and sometimes I Instagram and, well, I only just started doing this Instagram posting. Oh, my goodness. And one of my students came on and she wrote, Miss Kalu, the best dance teacher ever. I would so love to take class with you again, <laughs> you know. So it seems that I made this impact. And the things I told them stuck with them. 
it resonated and it looks like they took it into their adulthood. And um, I often pushed to teach yoga. I remember in one of my schools, every Friday was yoga day. And we would get a nice class and we would get lots of deep relaxation. And then in my the other school, um, every Friday was yoga nidra day. So again, you know, I was able to incorporate it into the syllabus. And, um, I, I, you know, you know, it's your dharma when people are able to move in a positive way in their life. Because I remember going to, uh, we went to see a show at City Center. And again, I'm standing waiting for my friend and this young lady passes. And he goes, Miss Kalu. And she start, we start talking and chatting. And she goes, I remember all that yoga you taught me. And you know, anytime I'm stressed, I go and I do my meditation. It's like, wow. <laughs> you know, and she's a big lady now, probably in her 30s, you know. And she still remembers what was taught. So I followed that because I guess intuitively, I knew I was not just supposed to give up my day job. It was what I was supposed to do. It was, I guess, now I think back how God was supposed to express him or herself through me. And um, we have to remember that too, that, yeah, not everybody's going to be a full-time yoga teacher, but you can always be practicing and sharing yoga somewhere. Because as Dharma says, it's not a religion, it's a way of living. And it's a way of living that keeps you healthy, both of body and mind, and start teaching you to connect to your inner self, right? Which is the true self, as mm. he always says. So I followed my Dharma. I enjoyed it thoroughly. I have absolutely no regrets. And while I was doing it, I was still doing the yoga, my own practice, teaching, you know, wherever I could. And, um, and then look at where I am now, right? Sort of doing this yoga full time. Uh, I feel I'm not teaching as much as I should or could or would like to, but I think it's because I have to get some things out of the way. I have to clear, I have to clear some stuff instead of forcing myself to have the schedule where I'm running around teaching all these yoga classes and then I'm so exhausted that now when I go home, I can't get that other stuff done. Mm. So I take it in stride and um, I'm always thinking, how would I like to help you? Like, you know, yes, I like to go on holidays, but I keep thinking, you know, every time I go on a holiday, I would love to be able to teach a yoga class somewhere. Not just a holiday, you know, which is nice. I love it. I love the beach. I'm always going to some holiday by the beach, you know. But it's so nice and it's so rewarding when I see the shift in people. You know, when you see that shift, even in a half a yoga class, which sometimes can become so much about the postures, but the beauty of what Dharma has taught us is that when you're teaching these postures, you're instilling that deeper looking within while they're doing the Hatha Yoga. And I think that is what people don't understand has been grabbing them and making them want to come back and making them feel good when they come to the yoga class. Because if it's just exercise, it's just like going to the gym, What you know. You're not thinking about your, your your bigger self. You're just doing some movement, you know. But if you incorporate all that looking within in the yoga class, that's where people, you know, start feeling their chakras, their heart, you know, the space between the eyebrows, this energy that rises, you know. 
Sometimes they don't even know, you know, they sing. I remember um, hearing a couple ladies, I I love the singing, but I don't even know what we're saying. (laughs) And I simply said, you know, all you're doing is sort of singing to the Lord. So every name that is being called there is a different name for the Lord. You know, and they just, you know, they didn't say anything because, you know, I think they had to think about it. But they, they, the whole yoga pulls us towards the divine a lot of times without us knowing. Mm. Yeah. That's so beautiful. I love it because I was thinking of how Dharma would recently say that knowledge is the highest form of charity. Yes. And, and I love that idea where it's like, yes, your job was not being a yoga teacher, but the knowledge was still being transferred all the same mm-hmm. to your students. Yes. And, and it's so beautiful how receptive they were to that knowledge through you yes. that it's still carrying on into their lives as they've grown older. Yeah, that's the most amazing part. Every time I see somebody, you know, they, they have to tell me about the teaching, you know. And I think through the dance teaching, I incorporated a lot of yoga and life lessons. Because um, at one time, I was even teaching the yoga as a college credit. And one of the college, mm, what to call him? No, he wasn't a professor. He would come and um, evaluate your class in the high school. And he wrote, well, this is not a typical college class. But Penelope is giving so many um, important life lessons to these teenagers that this yoga should really continue. (laughs) (laughs) But it was yoga. That was what I was teaching. It, you know, I don't know if in college they're thinking about the postures. But it's not the postures, right? The postures, like they say, is only one eighth of the path of yoga. Right. So what I was teaching them was the real yoga. And he himself didn't understand that, right? Mm. It's about how to live this life as positively and happily as possible. Yeah, because as Dharma says, To some degree, we're all sharing what we're feeling, right? Mm -hmm. So if that's, what do you want to share? Do you want to share anger and worry and fear? Or do you want to share joy? That's much better, right? So in a way, that was what I was teaching them. How to live life and be a positive human being and be okay with yourself just the way you are. And it doesn't matter what you end up being in this life, that it's, it's all perfect, and to be the best of that. And in that way, you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing in the world. And so to, you know, I would always tell them there's no shame and there's no embarrassment. I don't want to hear it. Nobody is better than anybody else. And nobody should ever be ashamed for anything they have gone through ever. <laughs> Just like that, I would say to them, you know, I said, I don't care if you think you're poor, or you're rich, or you had this experience. It's like, it doesn't matter, you know, so... Amazing. I (laughs) love it so much. Yeah. You know, Dharma always says the asana practice, not important. And he's saying it about one pose, but I feel like he really means it in general. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. And then he's there encouraging us to do all these challenging poses. We're sweating and grunting and sometimes failing. (laughs) He's pushing us to do more and more. But I'm sure he laughs inside because, you know, it's kind of a way to distract us, right? Mm. work until you're so tired your mind can't even think anymore and then your mind is clear and then what happens when your mind is clear 
here comes the real self, you know. Mm. That's why we do Nidra after yeah. asana, because mm. then we're tired and we're all just laying there. <laughs> <laughs> Your mind can't even think, right? <laughs> so true. That is a riot. Okay, so Penny, is there anything else that we have not covered off on that you would like to share? Mm. Well, you know, I have to talk about Dharma a little bit. Because I think I rarely get to tell him. I'm not one of those who always, you know, speaks up. But, you know, he really has taught me a lot about what is real, what is true, about what it means to be grateful in life. I mean, I've, I've always had this kind of, um, you know, maybe because I'm the last in the family. Yeah, I'll do this. Yeah, I'll do that. You know, a little bit of fearlessness, you know, with some caution. But um, he's constantly teaching us to be grateful just for even living. I remember um, my sister saying to me once, yeah, well, I didn't choose to come here and I didn't this and, you know, and who's grateful for this? And I'm thinking to myself, I am, (laughs) you know, I'm grateful. You know, how many people don't wake up? How many people don't see the little purple flower or the purple weed in the grass when they're walking, you know? How many people don't notice that bird sitting on top of the pole? <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, there's so much to experience and um, it's endless. And he's teaching us this all the time that there's so much to look forward to. And I, you know, I, I hope that everybody can see that. And I, I think it's one of the reasons people say, they always say, Penny, you're the most positive person I know. Well, it's because... There's so much to look forward to, not on on just this level, but, you know, in all the lives to come and in all the various forms that we yet have to live in. Mm. Thank you, Dharma. (laughs) Yes. Thank you, Dharma. Yeah, I I constantly repeat him saying what lies ahead is amazing. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it's like when you believe, really believe in that, it just makes you so hopeful, like, there's more more to come. Absolutely. Yeah. Beautiful. Less attached, right? Yeah. Even though it's still hard, but we're learning. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thank you, Penny. You're welcome. Okay. So let's get to our final five questions. Mm-hmm. So the first question is, how would you describe your current relationship to yourself? Mm. I think it's okay. <laughs> Only because... In my mind, there's still so much work to be done. So, you know, I know people on the outside might see it differently, but for me, I could see the work that has to be done. And, um, you know, it's this thing about purification. In order to become self-realized, we have to purify. So for me, there are things that I need to release so that I become more and more pure before the self-realization. So that's why I say it's okay. (laughs) It's a very yogic answer, I feel like. (laughs) The journey never ends. Yes, exactly. We're always learning. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. So what is something that you are currently working on? My friends would answer this. It's always about clearing up my apartment. (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm always trying to get it to be more zen. And only because I think... For me, that the outside reflects the inside. 
So the more I can clear away things that are unnecessary, the more there's less in my head. And so this is a big goal of mine. Can I, can my space and myself both mesh in that sort of clearness, in that clarity, in that just what, just what you need? Because I, I remember um, visiting Dharma and in his little place, he doesn't have much. Maybe a couple pictures, a blender, a bed, a chair to watch TV, a table. You know, it's like, it's like, wow, you know. And I'm like, I don't know if I'll ever get there, but, you know, I can only hope that one day I will, you know, be able to let go of a lot of quote unquote things. You know, it's not necessary and um, no, it will be okay. You know, because it's not the things, it's what's inside. So I guess, you know, working outside in and inside out. Mm-hmm. I love that so much. As <laughs> someone who is doing that same journey, yes, I completely relate to you there. <laughs> okay. I was literally just having a conversation this morning about how some people don't care that their apartments are super messy and they just live in that chaos. Yes. But I can't do that for that exact reason. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> me neither. Okay, next question is, what do you consider most valuable to you right now? Hmm. Most valuable? Hmm, it's the yoga practice, really. Um, you know, you know, people will always say they came to yoga and yoga saved them. And I'd be like, I never thought yoga saved me. I was happy. (laughs) I came to yoga happy, you know. I was, uh, you know, doing what I like to do. I was dancing, taking classes, performing, you know, teaching, you know, sharing that way. And, um, you know, I never thought of myself as very rich, but always having enough. And that was good for me. You know, I I didn't have to be rich. I just had to have, you know, a roof over my head, be able to afford my food, my car, my whatever you know, to get around, transportation. Um, So I felt very lucky, you know. So when I came to yoga, in my head, I thought of it like, oh yeah, this is great. This is, this will balance my body after rehearsals and dance classes. Not realizing how much further Mm. it would take me. And only when I look back now, I can see how yoga has saved me. You know, the teachings, the philosophy, the teacher, you know, that guru who, although people don't sometimes don't know, he's constantly keeping his eye on you. And I don't just mean physical eye, but in that, you know, that realm where where he can sort of feel our consciousness because he always says we're connected. So I think for some of the things I went through, uh, he would just have to say one sentence And immediately I would understand what was going on and I could let stuff go and I could move on. So, yeah, that this practice, this way of living, this way of thinking, this way of constantly going within, that is the thing that's the most valuable and it really saves us, you know. Beautiful. So along those lines, then, what is the best lesson you've learned recently? Hmm. That knowledge 
really does ease pain and suffering. Mm. That is the most recent one that I never fully understood. You know, it's it's when that suffering came and when I was able to reflect on what knowledge could help ease the suffering that I had that aha moment. I was like, oh, that's what Dharma means. And this is just one little, if you want to call it, event that happened. So now it's to take that knowledge into all parts of life and to see how it really does ease that pain and suffering so you can live a much happier life. Mm. You know, that, you know, as we're talking here, I keep thinking of Bob Marley and um, there's a song I danced to when I was a young person in university. And it's the one where he says, um, life is a stage and we are the actors. Everybody has a part to play, <laughs> you know, and that always keeps going through my head that it's so true, right? Because when you any of the yoga books you read, they always say like this life is not real, you know, quote unquote, because you have to live here. So it does seem real. And but you pass away and then you realize that in a way that this life was the dream. And then but where are you now? Is that also a dream? You know, like what is real? You know, when do you get to just know what is real? And so um this here is, is where I, I keep singing that song in my head and playing with what does it mean? You know, how do we find out? And, um, you know, where will it take us? What, what does it mean to be self-realized? And I know Dharma keeps telling us, but I think until we're there, only when we're there that we will understand. You know, other than that, we have to keep asking the questions. So. Mm. Yeah, that whole unreal versus real, that's the ultimate question. Absolutely. Yeah. What is real and why is this not real? Well, yes, it's real to the point that we are manifested here and living here. But then when we pass, what does this become? <laughs> you know, does it all disappear? No, we're still here. The, the us, we're still here. And where are they? They're somewhere else, but they haven't gone. They haven't disappeared. So what's real? Mm. Great question. <laughs> All right. Final question is, what is the number one skill you believe everyone should work on? Something I still work on. Um, sitting quietly and being okay with that. Is this, uh, I guess, Guru Niskadatta? I'm probably pronouncing his name wrong. But he has a meditation that starts off when you sit quietly, the thoughts come up or the different things come up. And um, I work on it, you know, uh, because you, you know, in the meditation practice, it can go up and down as well, depending on what you're going through with life. And sometimes, uh, depending on the stresses in life and the things you have to do, it could pull you away from that mat unless you're super disciplined and you know, like Dharma says, what's the biggest obstacle? Overcome sleep, right? Um, if no matter how busy you are, you can overcome that and keep doing that silent sitting, even if it's for a short while, this is a big deal. And uh, in some of my readings, even just articles on the paper about health and wellness, one of the things everyone is stressing is having a meditation practice. No matter which health practitioner you talk to, 
somehow they have included that. Whether they call it mindfulness, what, what they have all different names for it, but it is your meditation practice that is not just um, meditation on something that you want to achieve, but meditation on something within you. This thing that we don't even know that we are sort of searching for, right? This thing that will, quote unquote, give us the ultimate happiness. So that is the most important thing that we all have to do. We all have to get to, we all have to understand is important. And with understanding that it's important, buckle down and do it, you know? Like with the the influx of all these movies and YouTube, I get myself sucked into it, especially at night. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what is this? You know, playing a little video game to relax my mind. And I'm like, well, can't I relax my mind on the Lord? You know, and sometimes I say, huh, so if I concentrated on meditation as much as I did this video game, I would really go far, you know? <laughs> so, so sometimes, you know, you have to go through things to see it. Yeah, you have to experience that. I don't want to call it negative side, but that other side. And then when you come back to that meditation practice, it's like you could almost incorporate that thing that you were doing there that's not so good for you, but that concentration and focus you had when you're watching the YouTube. Can you do that with your meditation practice? Can you be okay with being silent? Can you be okay with being still? Can you be okay with feeling sort of that deep peace within you when you are starting to get deeper in the meditation? Can you leave yourself there and keep going? You know, so, I mean, I think if we could all have that, I don't know if we would exist on this earth, right? (laughs) We probably all like evaporate and go into the astral world. And and then the Lord will be like, no, 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 no. I need people here on earth too. (laughs) I guess so hence all the people of the different ages, right? Different Mm. soul ages. Yeah. In order for the earth to exist, you have to have people at all different levels. And then some people have to go and be at another level. And then we just keep going and going, you know? Mm. Yeah, I would say that's the most important thing, getting there. Yeah, wouldn't that be something if we all if we all just started doing it? (laughs) I dream. I I talked about that. I talked about dreaming of a world where we are 98 percent like that. And just the two percent to keep us here. Right. (laughs) That would be like a real happy, joyful world. Right. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Penny. It's been so wonderful doing this and having this conversation. So it's been a joy. You pulled a lot out of me that I didn't think I had in me. And so thank you as well. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So can you share where people can find you? Hmm. Let's see. At the Dharma Yoga Center. Is it 42 or 46 West 24th Street? I think it's 46. 46 West 24th Street. Um, Yes, I I am on Instagram. Uh, Not put on there by myself. Again, all my students put me on social media. They said, (laughs) Miss Kalu, and they just logged me in and gave me a password and did everything for me. So I'm actually on everything. Do I use everything? No, but I am starting to do the Instagram thing to sort of pull people in as well, you know, to come to class and to 
think about the little quotes that I put with a little picture. And the picture is just to get people engaged, you know. <laughs> so, um, But the quotes, you know, read the Bhagavad Gita, you know, check out the Patanjali Sutras, check out Hatha Yoga Pradipika, you know. Like, you know, let people get curious and what what is this? You know, why do I smile? Why, you know, why, how can you be joyful? How can you do that most of the time? Yes, even if you go through your down times, how can you pull yourself back up and keep going? What is this understanding we could have inside that keeps us going so that we pull that joy out from inside of us? Yeah, go through the sadness, but it doesn't stay forever. Mm. You know, be positive. They say the positive people are the what they call the futurists, right? They live the longest because you're always thinking into the future. You're always looking forward. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. <laughs> well, you can go on Instagram and find these beautiful quotes and lovely pictures of Penny on the beach doing <laughs> yoga. <laughs> Absolutely. But, but yes, ultimately the knowledge there is what's important. So that is, that is a beautiful reminder. Well, thank you again, Penny. This has been such a joy to have you on the show. Yes. Thank you, Jessica. Shall we Om Shanti? Indeed. And Dharma says, all yoga begins and ends with Om. Om Shanti 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 Namaste, everyone. Jai Guru. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of A Way of Thinking. If you love this episode, please hit the follow button and share this episode with a friend. I hope some of the beautiful wisdom shared today resonates with you and perhaps creates some change in your way of thinking. If you are looking for support in your journey, book a free dream job discovery session with me. Take the first step into following your dharma by clicking the link in the show notes. Remember that I believe in you and I am so excited for the day that you believe in you too. Let's continue learning and growing together.